We are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Uh, you'll notice that this text is kind of broken up in three separate little stories. If you remember last week, we kind of ended on a pretty high note that Jesus you know, went into the synagogue, he was teaching in the synagogue, and there was a man who was possessed by a demon there. He was multiple demons, and he was a demoniac. And how Jesus came into the synagogue, and this man had been gathering with this synagogue for who knows how long, but whenever he sees Jesus, that he calls out, and he says, what are you here for if you came to destroy us? You know, he, he was calling out Jesus. And, and it's pretty amazing here that the religious people, that the people who Jesus came to seek and to save, that the people Jesus came to spread the good news to, they did not recognize him, but the demons of hell knew exactly who he was. They knew exactly the authority that Jesus had. They knew exactly what he was capable of. And so we ended on that high note. We really ended with, you know, Jesus getting a lot of attention. And that kind of big, massive movement kind of launches us into the last part of chapter 1, where Jesus literally is trying to get away, per se, but the crowd is pressing on him. So let's look at verse number 29. I'm going to read the verses again because I want you to really see what I see when we're reading the text. Verse 29 in chapter 1. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Immediately they told him about her. So you think about this. You think about how the synagogue's right here. You probably imagine that Peter's house is very close by. They probably lived in a pretty large Jewish community where literally whenever you married into somebody's family in the Jewish family, you just added on to your parents' house. So you really think about that. So some of you might be thinking, I can't stand my husband's in-laws, amen. Back in the day, you had to love them, amen. It was like everybody loves Raymond all the time. I mean, you think about it, like you had to literally move right in next door to your in-laws. So you would add on to their house, and you would literally have this massive family compound where your in-laws live next door, you and your family live next door here. And the hope was that when your children grew up, when the, the male in your child was to bring a woman home and to marry her, guess what? That they would add on to your house. So very much a big family complex here of Peter's entire family living in this area. And Jesus goes into Peter's house, and I love this. I love the text here. Peter's mother-in-law, she's sick with fever. She's literally to the point where she is laid down. Now, if you've never had a fever like that, you've never been sick, amen. I'll tell you, the sickest I've ever been, I've had 103 fever, and it was borderline 104 at night, and my wife was like, you look awful, and I said, I feel like death. Like, literally, I was awful, I felt horrible, I was bad off, and I ended up going to the doctor, and I, ended, I never go to the doctor, but I just felt like I had no energy, had nothing able to get up and go, had no feeling whatsoever. I was just miserable. And you can imagine how for this lady, this is before ibuprofen, this is before Tylenol, this is before Baptist bourbon, NyQuil, amen. Some of y'all, amen, you're thinking, well, you talking about Jim? What are you talking about? Uh, you know, you, uh, this is way before all of those days. This is back in the day where if you were sick, there were some things they could do, but for the most part, we just had, they just had to pray. They just had to pray and pray and pray. And there was a lot of spiritual belief that whenever you were sick, is because you had been sinning, amen? It's because you had done something that was not okay, that you had broken Mosaic law, that somewhere in the form of your life you had done something wrong. You see this in the book of Job. You remember in Job's case? Job's case, his friends were saying, Job, you've done something wrong. You had to have done something wrong. The Almighty has cursed you because you've done sin. You've done something wrong. 
And of course, that was the belief back then. And I would dare say we have some of that even in our own culture. We would sometimes believe when something bad happens, oh, they deserve that, or maybe something is going on. When in reality, guys, there's just some times where things just happen to people. We, we live in a broken world. We know nowadays that you know, we, don't get, we don't get sickness from sin, we get sickness from germs, amen? We learned that, and that's a modern discovery, but for this day and age, they didn't have that. They didn't know those things. It's they kind of looked around and thought, well, you must have been doing something wrong. So Peter's mother-in-law is laid out sick, and I love this. Why? Because you get a lot of details about Peter here you wouldn't normally get. First detail, he's got a home. Second detail, he's at least got a wife because he's got a mother-in-law, amen? So he is old enough to probably have a young wife at home. We don't know if he has children. The text does not tell us he has children. But we do know that he's at least got a wife and he's at least got a mother-in-law. And we do know this more than anything, guess what? That he has a close relationship with him. Why? Because he's literally wanting Jesus to come to his house. Jesus is in the house. And I love that little detail. Did you see the detail? They told him that she was sick. So Jesus is in the house. He probably was aware that she was sick because it's the Lord, right? But Peter draws in Christ and says, hey, my mother-in-law is sick. She is sick in the next room. And look what happens here in verse number 31. And he came and took her by the hand. He lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. So Jesus comes in, he grabs her by the hand, lifts her up, and immediately the fever leaves her, and she's feeling fit as a fiddle. And the powerful thing is there, look what also happens, she begins to serve them. Now there are many people who read this text, and you might be thinking, well that means my wife ought to always serve me, amen. You might be reading that text thinking, hey, when you're feeling better, you'll be taking care of yourself. No, I think we should read this text and think about it this way. When Jesus does a great thing for us, we are to try our best to do great things for Jesus and great things for others. That if Jesus does a great thing for us, that we also should be trying to do great things for him, and we also should be trying to do great things for others. Isn't that the two greatest commandments? What, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Because guess what, guys? Those two things reflect if God really has done a work in your life. It's not how you treat yourself that shows God has done a work in your life. No, it's how you treat others that shows that God has done a great work in your life. It says immediately she began to serve them. She began to think, oh, Jesus has done great things for me, therefore I should try my best to show hospitality to him. Hospitality is a dying art these days where we don't even think about hospitality. We think about shorter front porches and longer, thicker privacy fences, amen? Because we don't want anybody coming over. We don't want anybody to know we're home. We close the blinds. We think about, hey, we don't want to entertain guests. But I want to remind you of this. Your home is your greatest ministry asset. I'm going to say that to you again. Your home is one of the greatest ministry assets you have. What do I mean by that? I mean to invite people into your home. Is there nothing more revealing than that? To say, hey, come see where we live. Come dwell with us. Come be a part of our family. Come see that our kids say cuss words too, amen. Uh, come see that our house is always a wreck. Come see that we have food in the fridge that's expired and it's good luck opening it, amen. Uh, come see that we are ordinary people who have been saved by an extraordinary Savior. Come see for yourself what we look like. And sadly, this is something the church has forgotten, but that is the ministry of the early church. They met house to house. They did these things. Why? Because it was all about letting people in to see, hey, we're not perfect. And we, because when somebody comes in your house, you know what you have the privilege of doing? You have the privilege of serving them. 
You have the privilege of breaking out that fine china that everybody just looks at all the other days of the week, amen. You get Dixie Delight, amen. Uh, that's what you get. You get that, that, that paper plate. But when they come over, you get the fine china out, amen, the ones you never use. And you put the good salt pepper shakers out, not the crappy ones that leak every now and then you got hit. Uh, you got the fancy ones, right? You get out the nice silverware. And you have really, you want people to say, hey, you're our guest. You're our guest. You're our guest. And we want to love you well. So Jesus does this, and look what also happens. The detail here, many people overlook this, but in verse 32, the saga continues. That evening at sundown, that evening at sundown, and I want you to think about this. Why in the world would Mark take his time to write out those few letters reminding you of what time of day it was? Because number one, it's on the Sabbath. It's on the Sabbath. So this is very, very important. Why? Because not important for Jesus' sake, but important for the people who he's going to heal for their sake. Because while the sun was still shining from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday, it was considered to be the Sabbath. It was a holy time where you weren't allowed to travel. Where you weren't allowed to pack the sick. You weren't allowed to carry people. And this right here, guys, is a critical issue because Jesus, more often than not, comes into confrontation with the religious people over the Sabbath. So right here, guess what? Mark throws this detail here to let you know that Jesus here is not the one who is really being cautious, but it's the people. Why? Because it's only when the sun goes down on my side of town, amen, uh, when the sun goes down do the people begin to come out. And the people begin to come out, and what do they do? They become to come to him, and those who are sick, those who are demon-possessed, look what Mark says also in verse number 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. So this is probably an exaggeration, amen. How does this exaggeration? Mark is a man, amen. Uh, so he's exaggerating here. I doubt the whole city has came out. I doubt all of the Capernaum is there. But I do know this. I do know a large group of people gathers outside Peter's tiny home. And they gather there. They gather there. Why? Because they have heard Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. Look what happens here. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So people are bringing to him all the sick. People are bringing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the, the, the scene in the streets that day? There's a long line of people. And I don't know about you, whenever people start gathering, you're like a curious neighbor like I am. You start looking around. What, what's going on over there? What are they doing over there? They start packing the sick to him. And as soon as they come, guess what? Jesus heals them. So the man who you saw limping is now walking with his friend, talking about what Jesus has done for him. And then the demon-possessed people, the demoniacs who are coming in line, their friends are bringing them. Guess what? It says whenever the demons see him, look what it says. Look at the authority the Son of God has. He didn't even permit them to speak because they knew who he was. Why would Jesus do that? This is one of those things. Why would Jesus, if he wants to get glory, if he deserves glory, he has the authority, he has the power, why would he tell them, don't speak? Why would he silence the demons? Because his time was not yet. Because timing is very critical in Jesus' life. You have to remember, Jesus lived on this earth in the flesh for 33 and a half years where every moment mattered, every minute mattered, every miracle mattered. And this is at the early stages of his ministry. This is the early Galilean 
part of his ministry, very early in his ministry. And here's the thing. If those demons kept acknowledging who he was, then we're told in other accounts of the Gospels that guess what? The people were expecting a Messiah to rise up who was going to overthrow Rome. The people were expecting a Messiah to rise up who was maybe going to be like the Maccabean revolt, who was going to lead a very, very physical campaign against the Romans, who were going to be zealots, who were literally going to destroy the Roman Empire. And you have to remember, that's not Jesus' timeline. Jesus wasn't there to destroy Rome. Jesus was there to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus wasn't there to conquer uh, any of the adversaries they thought they needed him to conquer. No, he was there to conquer the biggest adversary, which was what? Death, hell, and the grave. You see, what they needed was exactly what they got, but what they wanted was not what they got. Because the big thing about Jesus, you understand, my, my point number one is he lifts the hurting. He lifts the hurting. He lifts up Peter's mother-in-law. He, he helps take care of these people who are sick, who are hurting. And you always see Jesus extending his hand to the people who are hurting. He is close to the brokenhearted. He is close to those people. And you see that he has healed many people there. I want you to think about this. There are three groups of people who are around him at this time. There are three types. There are the people who are helping people get healed. There's the people being healed. And there's also the people who are watching there's the people who are helping the people being healed. There's the people being healed, and there's also the people who are watching. And I want to ask you, church, what kind of people are you on Sunday? What kind of people are you on Sunday? Are we like a football stadium where there's 40,000 fans looking at 12, looking at 11 people on each side of the football doing the work? Or are we participations? Are we participators instead of spectators? You know what's easy? Come to church just looking at everybody else do everything. Oh, yeah, we got a great kids' ministry. Oh, yeah, we got great worship. No, I'm not going to sing because that's what those people are doing. That's what the band does. I want to encourage you. Whenever you start coming to church as a spectator, you've lost what church is about. This is not a place just to look at other people's talents. No, this is a place for God to use your talents so you can better help serve the Lord and better encourage everyone else. Because a lot of people watched it, but they didn't experience it. Maybe there are people in the crowd thought, he can heal them, but he can't heal me. He can do something for you, but he won't do something for me. It's amazing how much cynicism has taken over our culture. We always think, no, it won't happen to me. It happens to everybody else, but it doesn't happen to me. And the reality is, I would just caution you, brother or sister, I would always caution you to remember this. That the reason why we follow Jesus is not for the things that he does for us, but it's because of the one thing that he did for us we couldn't do for ourselves. So we don't follow Jesus looking to receive something. No, we follow Jesus because we already have received something. Because that's the big thing here. Jesus didn't allow these demons to speak. Why? Because he wanted people to follow him, not because of the miracles he did, but because of who he was. Because of who he was. It's only after the disciples started following him that they saw the mighty hand of God. It wasn't like before they were like, hey, show us something, we'll start following you. No, it's after they started following, they started seeing the hand of God work. It's oftentimes in life we forget that the greatest thing about Jesus, once again, is not what he is going to do, but it's what he already has done. If Jesus didn't do anything else for you and your family, guess what? He's already been too good to you. Already been too good. You might be like, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. You're not thinking properly, brother or sister, because he's already been too good to you. Anything else, just gravy on the biscuit, ain't me? Just a little extra gravy. Why? Because he's already been too good to you, because he's already been too good to me. 
Look what happens here. Uh, this next passage, Jesus heals a lot of people, and then you see him pull back. Look what happens in Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And then he said to them, Let, them, let us go on to the next town, that I may preach there also, for this is why I have come. And he went out through all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You think about this. You think about how Jesus right now, he's healed a lot of demon possessions. He's healed a lot of the sick. He's literally lifted fevers. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he literally has got a great thing going on here. And then the next morning, where do they find Jesus? He's off by himself. Now, I've read this passage over and over again. I'm probably like you when you first read it. You're probably thinking the focus that Mark wants us to pay attention to is Jesus praying. That's a good focus, right? That everybody in the morning should have early, quiet time. I'm not going to lie to you, church. My first at least probably six or seven years being the pastor here, I never saw the sunrise, amen? Uh, like, I kid you not, I used to sleep in until like 8.30, 9.30. Let's be honest, sometimes 11. Uh, I was a night owl. I'd stay up until 2 or 3, and me and Rondell were talking this week about it. And something's amazing, amazing in life, guys. If you ever think, I want to become a morning person, have a child, amen? Uh, that's all you got to do. You ain't got to buy an alarm clock. You just got to have a baby. Why? Because you have a baby. I don't know how God has wired them, but Esther, at 6.30 every morning, no matter what time she goes to bed, she's gnawing on a rail. Like a daggum hamster in there, amen. Just ready, just singing. This morning, she was singing to the birds, and it was my time to sleep in, which means I slept till 7, amen. Uh, and Emily got up with her at 6.30, and I elbowed her and said, your baby's up. Uh, and she was like, she was like, okay. And she went in there and laid her back down, night, night. And then she fumbled back in there and fell back in bed. And guess what I said? She's still up. And I kid you not, it's amazing how they are just wired to get up really early. They're wired for it. And the older I've gotten, even before Esther has gotten to the age she's at now, there is something really special about getting up with the sun. You might be like, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean, for some of you, that you're like our season of life, you've got young kiddos. There's a quietness in the house that does not exist when the little feet get up. You know what I'm saying? Like, it is quiet. The toys are put away. The coffee is hot. The blinds are open. The birds are singing. And if it's really in the wintertime, like this, yesterday morning, I got up right with the, before sunrise, and you're able to just sit there and bask in the goodness of God with no distractions. And I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer that some of the best moments you have with the Lord are before the house gets up. But that's not the focus of the passage. That's not it. I know Jesus prayed. I know Jesus got away. I know Jesus spends time, quiet time with the Father. But that's not the main point Mark's getting at. The main point Mark is getting at is when Peter comes looking for Jesus. How do you, be like, well, how do you know that, Pastor Nick? Because you have to remember the flow of Scripture here. He's at Peter's house. He raises Peter's mother-in-law. He heals all the people who are sick. Jesus goes away, and then Peter comes looking for him. And what does Peter say? What's the words he uses? Very, very particular words. He says what? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Because if you're like me, and you're like Peter... 
I understand what Peter's getting at. Jesus has a huge opportunity here. Everyone is paying attention to him. He's got an audience. He's got all kind. He's going viral, you could say, amen. He's probably thinking, Jesus, we can make a couple TikToks. You hit people in the foreheads. You know, Jesus, we can make a couple, you know, Instagram reels. I'm telling you, Jesus, we could get a real big campaign right now going, Jesus heals. We could throw up a tent. Jesus, we could get t-shirts made. You know, Jesus, we could have a big, 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 massive campaign right here. And I love this. You missed it. I'm telling you, all of you, I love you to death. But we, you missed it just like I missed it, amen, when I read it. Jesus tells Peter, no. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. It's time for you to come back to my house. Maybe we can start our own hospital. Maybe we can start our own foundation, Jesus. Maybe we can start our own ministry. And what does Jesus say to Jesus? We're not going back there. Because that's not the reason I have come. I did not come to just do miracles. I did not come to be a sideshow. I did not come just to cast out demons. I did not come just to heal people. No, he came for the purpose to preach the gospel and to die on an old rugged cross for sinners like me and you. Because what does Jesus do here? He lifts up the hurting, but what's the most important, the most important details of Jesus' life that he does? Jesus does the Father's will. Over and over again in the text, you see people trying to push Jesus out of the will of the Father, and you always see Jesus getting right back in the will of the Father. Many people misquote that piece of Scripture that whenever uh, Jesus reveals to Peter and the rest of the disciples, hey, I'm fixing to go die on the cross, what does Peter say? Peter says, far from it, Lord. Peter says, you are not going to die. And what does Jesus famously say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Now, here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus is not calling Peter Satan. Because if Peter was saying he wouldn't be among the twelve, amen, he wouldn't be one of the picked ones, right? He wouldn't be the guy who he was going to literally profess to be uh, the Christ, right? That you, literally Peter was the one who said, you are Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who literally, you're the one who Jesus says, I will build my rock on you, right? Uh, so he wouldn't, you would not be thinking that in that moment. But here's what you need to understand. Whenever we try to pull people out of the will of God, whenever we try to tell God what to do, we are acting like the devil trying to get the will of the Father to conform to our will. And it's very dangerous. Why? Because we don't want to do that. Why? Because God has his will. God has his way. His will is the best for our good and the best for his glory. His will. Not my will. Not your will. Not everybody else's will. God's will is the best. What God wants to happen. That's why we pray, you know. Your kingdom come, what? Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Heaven's always done what God wants it to do. And we're praying that God's will invades our earth. That God's will invades our lives. That God's will invades our families. That God's will invades our bank accounts. That God's will invades our marriages. That God's will invades our very lives. And that's what you see Jesus doing here. He says, I don't care about what he's doing, Peter. The whole crowd, they can want me to do what they want, but guess what? I'm not here to please them. I'm here to do the will of my Father, and I've got to go preach somewhere else. I've got to go preach somewhere else. And he goes on, and guess what Jesus does, because Jesus is so good? He tells Peter no, but guess what he also does? Look what verse number 39 says. He was in the synagogue, preaching in the synagogue, and he also cast out some demons. Isn't it like the Lord to do some good anyways? Well, since I'm here, I might as well cast out a few demons. 
Isn't that pretty cool? Isn't that pretty amazing to read that? He tells Peter, I'm not going to do that. Then he goes, ah, I guess I will. Uh, you know what I mean? Pretty cool, right? Because he's really showing you the goodness of God. He's doing things he doesn't have to do. Because sometimes we forget, ladies and gentlemen, that God does care about all suffering. I love this quote by John Piper. God cares about all sufferings, but he cares the most about eternal suffering. God cares about all suffering, but he cares the most about eternal suffering. What good does it do a man or woman if we feed them and clothe them, but they're still going to hell? Does them no good. Does it do them any good if we pay for their electric bill, but we don't share the gospel with them? Does it do them any good. Now, we should do those things, but that is not the purpose of our ministry. The purpose of our ministry is not to feed the uh, hungry, is not to clothe those who are naked. The purpose of our ministry is to show people the light of the gospel. Those are means, but they are not the end. They are means to do those things. The end, though, is to tell people about Jesus. That's the goal, is to tell people about Jesus. If we love people well but don't share the good news with them, we've wasted our time. We've wasted our time. And the last little part, some of y'all are thinking, you said it was going to be fire today. We get into the fire passage, JMF. We get into the fire passage. We had to preach all that to get to this because this right here is straight fire. I'm just going to tell you all right now, straight fire. All right, so verse number 40. Look what happens here. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. A leper comes to Jesus. Now, once again, if we don't understand the context, we don't understand how big a deal this is. How big a deal this is. The best illustration I know to use to you that's modern day is whenever COVID first got started, whenever somebody, we found out they had COVID, we deleted them from our inbox, amen. We deleted them from our phone. Like, they got COVID. Don't breathe on me. Don't look at me. We thought you'd give them eye contact. Don't look at anybody. I mean, you know what I mean? Mask up, don't breathe the same air as me, don't touch anybody. Like, it was literally like we treated it like it was the plague. Now, nowadays, you're thinking they had COVID. Like, how sick are you? You know what I mean? Like, we've got a lot loose with our restrictions in a lot of ways. But y'all remember, like, when it first happened, like, we were all scared out of our minds when it first happened. Terrified. Terrified. Leprosy in this day and age was such a stigma that literally whenever somebody was diagnosed, and what I mean by diagnosed, whenever they were showing signs of leprosy, the priest would announce that that person is unclean. The priest would announce not only that person is unclean, but they are now pretty much dead to the society. Now, if you don't know what leprosy is, this is a skin disease where your literally flesh rots away from itself, where literally pieces of your body fall off. Very, very serious diseases where literally most people who lived long enough, their noses would fall off. I'm not lying to you, church. This is legit. Their fingers would fall off. It was extreme cases. Their entire legs would rot away. Very extreme, extreme, scary medical condition that they were terrified of. Terrified of it. And if you were pronounced as unclean, what that meant was from a social and spiritual outlook you were unclean and not fit to be around people so this was a death sentence whenever it was announced that you had leprosy pretty much what that meant was guess what you no longer could be with your family you no longer could go to your synagogue 
You no longer could it be anything and anyone to anybody. You were stripped of your name and your title. You were dead. And you were forced to leave your family and your home and go live in a leper colony. And in those leper colonies, that's where lepers lived. Literally, it was colonies outside the town, small, small colonies of people who would literally live there. And they would be dragged, they would be, they would dress, listen to this church, they would dress in rags. They would dress in torn rag garments with their faces covered. And they had bells that they had to ring. They had to ring some kind of of metal pieces and let people know, unclean. Whenever they came into town, they had to shout, unclean! Unclean! Unclean coming in the market! And they had to ring their bells, letting people know to clear out. Why? Because somebody who was unclean was coming into market. And so it's powerful that we just read this right here, that this lone leper, this lone man, who we don't know how long he's been a leper, but we do know this, this lone man seeks out Jesus. He seeks out Jesus, and he doesn't shout unclean, he doesn't shout any of these things. I love what, his, I love what the words of Mark say right here. It says what? Imploring Jesus, he kneels before him, and what does he say? If you will... You can make me clean. Now look what he says here. Look, what he, look at the verbs that Mark chooses carefully that the leper says. If you will. If you will. Look what he says there. Notice what he does there. He doesn't say if you can. He has faith entirely in who Jesus is. If you will, you can make me clean. Look what he also doesn't say. He doesn't say make me clean. Well, he doesn't say you can make me healthy. He doesn't say you can restore my skin. No, what does he say? If you can, you can make me clean. Clean. Why? Why does he say this? Why in the world would he use that terminology, you can make me clean? Because remember, from a social and a spiritual outlook, he is unclean. He is not worthy enough to be with the people of God. He is not worthy enough to be in the house of God. He is not worthy enough to be a member of the society. He is unclean in all due respects. He is so filthy in the eyes of the religious establishment that he's not worthy enough to go to church. He is unclean. And look what verse number 41 says, moved with pity. This is Jesus. He's moved with pity here. He's moved with compassion. The actual Greek translated here doesn't just mean pity or compassion. It means anger. He's moved with anger and compassion. Why? And we can can kind of guess here why he's moved this. Why? Because he is looking at a man who has been stripped of everything. He's looking at a man who has lost everything. He's looking at a man here who is no longer the image that God has made him to be. Why? Because this disease has robbed from him everything. And he's looking at him and he's moved with compassion. He's moved with pity. And here's what's crazy. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. And he said to him, I will be clean. I'm not going to do the hand motion because y'all know what I'm going to do. This man has leprosy. Leprosy is highly contagious. Leprosy is so contagious to the point where if you were to touch a garment, 
that they had worn, they believed you could get leprosy from that garment. This man comes before Jesus. He kneels down to him, his face in the dirt, and says, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus could have spoke some words over him, couldn't he have? Jesus could have touched the garment. Jesus could have done all kinds of things. We know from other passages in the Bible that this man could have grabbed Jesus' garment, amen, and been healed. But what does our righteous good king do? What does he do? He stretches out his hand. And he touched him. He touched the man who is unclean. He touches this leper who probably has not felt the touch of another in years. Can you fathom, church, how boring, how miserable our lives would be without the touch of an individual? It's the most tender moments I've ever had with Esther since she's been alive is when she takes her little hand and pats my cheek. Well, she's dad-da. And I take my cheek and my rough, coarse cheek and I put it up against her soft little tiny little cheek and she grabs my beard and, and literally those sweet little moments like me and Emily love when she's really really tired she'll lay her head on your chest and you can feel her breath moving in and moving out and just to feel the warmth of another human on your body is just such a powerful thing powerful powerful thing and to imagine for years and years you are robbed of that Imagine for years and years, nobody's ever touched you, nobody's ever looked you in the eyes. Everybody has thought you were dead. So what Jesus does here, church, this is scandalous. What Jesus does here is beyond extraordinary. What Jesus does here is he touches the unclean. So ceremonially, considered in the book of Leviticus, whenever Jesus touches him, instantly Jesus himself has became unclean. Because they fully believe that when Jesus touches the leper, that Jesus now is probably going to get leprosy. That Jesus now, in this moment, because he has touched the unclean, that the unclean has made Jesus unclean. But you ought to thank God that when the clean touches the unclean, that the unclean doesn't become unclean, but the clean makes the unclean clean. That truly, whenever Jesus touches us, that he doesn't become a sinner, but we meet a Savior who makes us clean, church, so that we no longer are outcasts in the kingdom of God, but he brings us into the family of God. That even in this passage, as clear as day, you see me and you, we are the leper. We are the one who is dead. We are the one who has no hope. We are the one who has no way of cleaning ourselves up. And the only thing me and you can do is fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, you've got to save me. I've got no other hope. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say somebody else can do it. No, he gets personal with us. He gets personal with us and he touches us. He grabs us by our chin, lifts our chin, and looks at us and treats us like a human being made in the image of God. We used to sing that old song. Some of you remember, oh, he touched me. 
about that woman who literally we, we sing about the song all the time. You know, we sing about the power for that, but you think about the power this man felt in this moment. That as soon as Jesus touched him, as soon as Jesus said the words, look what happens here. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Sometimes I like to pretend like that he reached out his hand and he was missing a couple fingers. He fathomed that. That as soon as Jesus touched his hand, that those fingers just started growing back. And the man in disbelief looked at his hand and he thought, I had seen that hand in a long time. And he pulled back his garment and he saw the skin was coming back. And Hugh Fathom, he looked at his other hand and it was gone. Hugh Fathom, he ran over to a well and maybe looked and gazed and pulled back his hood and he saw for the first time the face he had seen since he was a boy. Can you fathom a moment like that? And I love what Jesus does. I love this here. And then Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest. And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. I love this. Look at this. He said, look, some of y'all might be, might be confused here, but when Jesus touched him, he had broken the Mosaic law. You follow me? But he wasn't breaking the law. What was he doing? He was fulfilling the law. Ooh, wolf. He was fulfilling the law. Why? Because look what happens here. When that man touches Jesus, he becomes clean and Jesus stays clean. In that moment, as soon as he is made clean, Jesus doesn't say, go on and do what you want to do. No, he follows the Mosaic law to the T. And he says what? Now, go and show yourself to the priest. Because the only one in Scripture who could fully acknowledge that this man had been healed and this man was now clean enough to be reintroduced to society was the priest. So Jesus sends the man to the priest. I love this here. He doesn't do it necessarily for the man, but guess what? For proof to them. Proof to them that guess what? A miracle has happened so they can give God glory. They can give God a sacrifice. Because in this moment, this man's life had changed. This man's life had changed to the point where, guess what? He now could be introduced back into society. He now could go to synagogue. He could now. Can you imagine if you had small children? Can you imagine if he had a wife? Can you imagine that afternoon he walks up to the door and he's not wearing the rags anymore, but he's dressed like a normal man? Can you imagine his wife beholding his face? Can you imagine his children looking at him and saying, Daddy's home? Can you fathom that? But what does this man do? This man does not listen to Jesus. Oh, there's more to the sermon, amen. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but out in the desolate places, the people were coming to him from every quarter. Some of y'all are probably thinking, what's the big deal, Pastor Nick? If God did something great for you, aren't we supposed to make a testimony? Aren't we supposed to tell somebody? We have to remember this. Jesus told this man what to do. This man disobeyed what Jesus told him to do. He looked at him and it says sternly. 
he charged him, do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Now, if he told, showed himself to the priest, if he went through all the ritual things he was supposed to go to, then after that, I'm sure he had liberty to tell what he wants to tell. But this man got the cart before the horse. You see, this man had no problem with Jesus healing him, but he did have a problem with him obeying Jesus. You see, this man was okay with the Savior, but he was not okay with the Lord. I don't know if you're following me, church, but sometimes, often in life, this sounds like me and you. Where we treat Jesus' commands like great options, not commandments. I'll do that if I feel like it. That's for somebody else. That's not for me. You know, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me. As for me and my house, we only serve the Lord when it's convenient. I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that He cannot be your Savior if He is not your Lord. It's a two for one. You can't have just the Savior and not the Lord. You may go, what did it hurt? It hurt Jesus' ministry. Because look what happened there. It says that thanks to that man spreading the word, Jesus could no longer go into towns, but he now had to go off to a desolate place and people had to come to him. Now I know some of you are probably thinking, like I'm thinking, he's Jesus. Why can't he just, everybody's memories wiped. I mean, everybody look here. Look at the flash. That's a man in black reference, amen. Nobody saw anything. Just smile and wave, boy, smile and wave, amen. He could have done that. But that's not what Jesus did, because it's not who Jesus was. So this man ex received an extraordinary blessing. But because he did not handle the blessing faithfully, he could have cost other people their blessings. Ooh, you think about that. He was not a good steward of what God had given him. And it cost others. So I want to ask you this last question as we begin to close today. Do you want to be healed or do you want to be clean? Do you want to be healed or do you want to be clean? You know, there are several people that they gathered on church on Sunday, they just want to be healed. Maybe you came with your laundry list. Jesus, I'll start following you and you do A, B, C, D, F for me. I'll start following you, God, whenever you do these for me. But until you do these for me, I'm not giving you nothing. I, I, I hear people talk about this all the time when it comes to tithing. They'll say, well, I'll tithe when I make a lot of money. I'll start giving to the Lord whenever I make a certain amount of money. Let me promise you, the words of Jesus echo in my ear every time I hear somebody say that. If you are not faithful with little, you will not be faithful with much. So I ask you, do you want to be healed or do you want to be clean? Because that man could have been made, could have been healed. But he wanted to be clean. He wanted to be moved back into society. He wanted to be ritually, spiritually, socially, emotionally. He wanted to be made well. Which one do you want? Did you come in here and think, if God does this for me, I'll do that for him. When I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we serve the Lord is not for what He is going to do, but because, once again, what He's already done.
That's why we serve the Lord. And serving the Lord, what does it look like? It means serving others. And how do I know the others he wants me to serve? I get in his will. And once I get in his will, guess what? We will see the mighty hand of God work. How do I know the will of God? You spend time with the Lord. You spend time reading the word of God. You do what God tells you to do. But why did you come here today? I came to get my blessing. Or did you come to be a blessing? Did you come wanting to be healed? Or did you come wanting to be made clean?